I'd like you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture that's uh, very Christmassy in that sense. Uh, it's Luke chapter 1, and I'd like to talk about something that I think Zechariah experienced that's common to, to many of us. Um, and it's in chapter, chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 5 to verse uh, around 23, okay? Let's read it. I'm reading from the ESV. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So that's his, 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 his duty on the roster, so to speak. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw this angel. That's an interesting word, troubled. I, my emotions would be rather more drastic than troubled. But you know, you don't know how the angel appeared, okay? because angel just means messenger. And so sometimes we see angels, but not necessarily in the form of like this seven-foot you know, person who's like, imposing, we could, he could have seen something in, that was merely a messenger. So his, it's, it's, it's quite possible for his emotions to be trouble because angels can come in very, various different forms. Yeah? Trouble, okay, so trouble. And the angel said to him, verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been, answered, has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. So he's been praying. He's got this long-term prayer that has been ongoing for a long time. But he had come to a point where probably he didn't believe that that prayer was going to be answered anyway. Yeah? Your, but, your, but he comes and he says, he tells us, tells us that Zechariah has been praying. Okay? Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear, bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, he'll be what you call a Nazarite, dedicated to the Lord, to the service of the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the, power, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And by that time, Zechariah is saying, whoa, 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 what's all this business about something that we had already, you had not answered. You did not answer our prayer. You did not do anything for me, and as far as that's concerned. And now at the end of my life, you are saying that this is going to, all this is going to happen, hold, hold off, hold up a bit, yeah? And you can imagine What's been ingrained in Zechariah has been just the circumstance of life by which he has had no answer to his prayer. You have to sympathize with him, don't you think? 
what's been ingrained in him is the fact that his prayer never got answered. And so he's saying to the Lord, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good, good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things have taken place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, we would think that the angel is a bit harsh. A bit harsh. I mean, he got his child, but the punishment seemed a little harsh. Because we can identify with his experience, real experience. I'm not talking about experience in the mind or bad attitude. It's a real experience of just long time, no answer kind of thing. Yeah. But Zacharias, the angel's answer is strange because of the fact that the angel says, I'm the angel who stands in the presence of God. Now, before we begin to judge the angel and say, Wow, you, you got offended. As if we think the angel is saying, you're questioning my credentials? Hey, who do you think you are? Do you, do you know who I am? That famous phrase, do you know who I am? Don't give me a parking ticket. Do you know who I am? You, I mean, we think the angel is saying, what? You offended me. He's not doing that. He's not saying that. He's saying, I stand in the presence of God and because of the fact that I'm close to you and, and, and Luke says the exact location of the angel. So he's saying that the angel is there physically, spatially in front of him in the realm of the physical and yet the angel has brought the realm of the presence of God into the physical for Zechariah. What the angel is basically saying is this. You have got the spiritual dimension come up close to you and you have to choose which dimension you want to function in. And if you don't function in the spiritual realm and you reduce everything to some kind of physicality and you only recognize what's physical and what's circumstantial and historical and what your experience has been, you will never be able to break through into the realm of the presence of God or the things of God. What we are saying is this, this is going to make you silent. It will make your words powerless. You will have nothing to say of great weight because you're function from the functioning from the wrong dimension. So in that sense, the angel wasn't actually being harsh on him. Angel was giving him something that would, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the days to come, liberate him into praise, into worship, and to prophecy. Before that, he was just a priest who's just functioning. He's just a functionary who's doing his job because of his, his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his, his family line. Everything is natural. But the angel was basically saying there's a, there's a spiritual dimension that will break into your lack of certitude about things. 
your unsureness about things, the lack of resolution for long-standing prayers that you have been praying. And so what he's saying is that in this long journey that we have, that you are in midway, there is a way in which you can actually have conviction and you can be sure about things. How's that? I was praying for my, when I was in college, I was praying for my friends a lot. And um, I was one of the very few in my class who were Christians. I longed for my, my non-Christian friends to be, uh, to, be, to, be, to be saved. And I believe that the Lord put in my heart the same thing that He would put in all of your hearts, that somehow your friends, your colleagues, the people in your land, so to speak, your family, can become recipients of the great gift of God's eternal and, uh, one, and God kind of Zoe kind of life. So I prayed, I prayed, I prayed for my first year, I prayed for my second year, I prayed for my third year. I've been praying for a long time like Zachariah, just praying for some new birth. N- never experienced it. And uh, I got to know one of the, one of the cohorts in uh, my faculty. I was in the arts faculty, majoring in literature. And uh, he was like the most prominent, the most notorious, most dreaded, and the most intimidating of those in this class of about 150 people. I started praying for him. I started praying for him several years before. And finally, and this road that I was on midway, I took up the challenge to invite him to come for a Christian meeting in which I knew God was going to be present. To my surprise, he told me, he was going to come. So I got excited, so I really prayed for him, you know, really prayed for him, like, wow, this is the first person in the, arts, in the, in, in the, in the English department who was going to come to him. And if he comes to the Lord, he's so influential, so many people come to the Lord. I got really excited. The day came for me to pick him up from his house. And he came, and he was in one of those moods, you know, Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Praise you, Jesus, and pass the salt. All the most flippant kind of things that you could say about Christianity. And he was just mocking the whole thing. And I didn't feel like taking him. I just want to say, let's go to, let's go to the, the pub. It just didn't fit, right? He had set the mood. He set the, he set the tone with the conversation. And I, and I felt a pressure to just follow in with it or else it would seem like I'm a stick in the mud. But the Lord spoke to me and I felt, be quiet. Just be quiet. And just carry on the plan. So we went. We went to the meeting and there he was, like, just making a nuisance of himself. All these 
Christian people, it was wonderful, sedate and all that. My parents were there as well. And there was this guy, he was just like making fun of everything. And then we started worshipping. And then he started crying. And then he started weeping. And he was the first one to respond to the altar call. And as they prayed for him, he fell under the power of God. After that, he told me, you know, I actually didn't know that God has been calling me. And I've been struggling about it. And I've been seeking for God. And I had prayed that somebody would make a, make a move for me because I didn't see how I could kind of get past this impasse. So when you invited me, I just said, okay. But I'm so, I was so scared that I would actually meet God that I had to sort of put up this front. From that night onwards, he and me began to start Sharing the, go- sharing the gospel and telling people about how real Christ was. And it was about, you know what? The approach was not, you know what? This is, this is why, these are the reasons why God exists. The approach is, what's your problem? Jesus can do it. What's your problem? This, Jesus can do it. Jesus can do it. Jesus can do it. And we just started bringing people to the, these meetings and all that. Before the year was ended, a significant batch of people had come to the Lord already. And I had shared with you about how some of these people who had stolen books from the library came in one day, five of them with sacks of books, and they just dumped them on the, on the, the library uh, counter and says, we are Christians now. We are returning these books. People started talking about that, 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 that whole thing. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because of the fact that we are all, all of us, somewhere midway between a prayer, a desire, or a promise and its fulfillment. And along the way, God is going to, going to do things through us, but it's very easy for us to actually, because of the fact of disappointment, because of, because of the, fact of our, the fact that our mind is often trapped in the physicality of things in, in, in this dimension in which we only see what we see, we can sometimes act against what God is doing, like Zechariah. And as a result of that, lose conviction. The question for all of us is this, how do we get conviction when it hasn't happened? How do you not be unsteady when a crisis is happening and you haven't actually seen the crisis resolved or broken through, how do you actually do that? In midway. So I'd like to share with you something about midway. Because, you know, God does not want us to wait till the end when everything is all done and then be very certain of the fact that God answers prayer. You cannot live like that. Because it's going to be anxiety all the way until God answers the prayer. And then after that, you're relieved. What God wants to do is that along the way, cause us to experience something called faith. But before you think faith is just an attitude of mind, 
I have to share with you something, okay? Because faith is not that. Hebrews tells us faith is a, it's a substance. It has mass. It has body. It has a reality that is independent, freestanding, over and against what I think of it. It can, it can exist outside of my own sentiment or my own attitude. Faith is a substance. It's objective. It is not a subjective sort of response that I have to the claims of Christ. Faith is something that is the earnest, the deposit, the substance of that thing that is actually going to happen. That is a very radical way of looking at faith because the Bible thinks of faith not so much as belief. Belief is a result of faith, but faith is the substance that causes belief. Yeah? So if you're impacted by a rock, somebody throws a rock at you, and you are impacted by the, 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 the rock, you don't have too much problems believing that the rock exists. Because the rock did something to you. Does that make any sense? Because you've been impacted by it. Now, before that happens, you can think up all the things about whether rocks exist or not and all that, and you can turn, you can, you turn your mind in cartwheels and never know whether there are such things as rocks except to know things by reading about it or, or, or seeing things. But when a rock hits you, then you not only know what it looks like, but you know what it feels like as well. You know the texture of it, you know everything about, about it that's, that's, that's relevant to the, the thing. Faith, may I say, the word that's used often by faith is apodixis, which has to do with that. The result of a compelling pressure on the very thing you're believing in, upon you. It's not a ma- mental attitude. It's a, it's a mental attitude that arises out of that, but it is essentially a substance. And that substance can only happen when you function in a realm of the invisible, the realm of the, of the spirit. The reason why the realm of the Spirit is not seen, not obvious to us, is not because it's weak, but because it's so massive. Not because it is weak or, 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 or insubstantial, but, it can, but because it is much more substantial than we ourselves. C.S. Lewis in his book, um, The Great Divorce, speaks about the fact that when we go to heaven, the premise is this, two people, two kinds of people got to heaven, those who depend on, the, on, the, on the, the grace of, and the riches of Christ and those who are getting a kind of a second chance to test out heaven. And, you know, the idea was that they may not actually like heaven. And so there's this group of people who come on the bus, right? The heavenly bus. And they arrive in heaven. And when they come... They get out of the uh, get out of the, 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 the bus. They don't have feet. I'm sorry, no, they, don't have, they don't have shoes. And the moment they step on the on the on the floor or the or the ground of heaven, their feet are in extreme pain because of the fact that the ground is so dense and they are so not substantial that they can't stand the density, the reality, the compact reality, the vividness of heaven. 
They step on the grass and the grass pokes their poke, pokes the, the, the soles of their feet because they are not substantial. They don't have substance. But the, those who end up in heaven, the other kinds, they have substance. They can tolerate heaven. And so C.S. Lewis' uh, uh, premise is the fact that actually a lot of people don't want to go to heaven because they can't tolerate it. The point about faith is just this, that along the way, and we are all midway through some process, right? Midway through going through a crisis or going through a sticky, a thorny problem, uh, we can actually have certainty. We can have apodixis. We can have conviction and reality. And so I'd like you to, to turn with me to a passage of Scripture which we actually have had a look at before. It's Psalm 63. Psalm 63. We're looking at midway. Between the prayer uttered, the need felt, and the fulfillment or the answer from God in its full uh, accomplishment, okay? So let's have a look at this. We'll look at Psalm 63. It's a Psalm of David. A lot of these Psalms are written, you know, in the wilderness of Judah, when he's running away from the Philistines or running away from Saul under the worst of circumstances. And a lot of these Psalms um, depict certain certainty conviction and confidence in God in the midst of that. And the big story for these Psalms is like, how does David have this confidence? And not just a confidence that's a mental attitude, but having been impacted by God hurling the substance of truth, of reality, of His love at him to such an extent that he felt, oh, I felt that. In that sense, faith is feelings as well. <laughs> All right, anyway, anyway, let's go. Oh God, you are my God, verse 1. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So you're talking about, so he's talking about a journey in which it's very parched. He's thirsty, he's fainting, he's not, not real happy. He's not, he's not there yet. Whatever, he's not, his desire is not fulfilled yet. He's midway, yeah? just like many of us in all our circumstances. So he's talking about this. And this is his experience along the way. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. He seems quite a happy camper, right? His soul is fainting, his, his, his flesh is fainting, his soul is thirsting for God. 
But by the time you come to verse 7, he seems happy. How did he get happy along the way even though he's not there yet? His happiness seems palpable. Somewhere in midway, in the fainting, in the midst of fainting, something has happened in him. And, and, and this is what I believe God has for us, for all of us who are midway through some prayer, some travail, or some struggle, or some lack, or some desire, or some prayer. The question for us is not what will happen when we come to the end of our life, at the end, end of our destination. The question is, what do we do now? Right? How do we live now? Can we live a life in which, in between, in, the, in, in, mid, in midway, we can experience the earnest or enough sub, sub, substantial um, gifting of that thing that we desire towards the end? In many ways, that's what Christmas is about, Advent is about. It's like we're looking, following the star, right? They followed the star, and finally when they came to, to see the Christ child wrapped in swaddling cloths, they were so liberated. They were not thinking about what the Christ child would do for them. They were just saying, hey, I want to give you gifts. And each of these gifts were prophetic gifts, right? So let's, let's have a look at this. Psalm 63 is right where we are. I'm fainting, fainting for God. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips, verse 5. Verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, my right hand, your right hand upholds me. I'll stop here. I think perhaps it may be helpful for us to think about this process of entering into the presence and reality of God. Don't you think? Because many people wonder, how do I experience God speaking to me? How do I experience God, God's presence in my life? The problem is that a lot of people who do experience it, they experience it so deeply, so in the spirit, that they can't describe it. But what about a person who's never experienced it before, so they have no experience to relate to that can speak into something they've never experienced? Perhaps it may be helpful for us to follow this psalm and to think maybe David is trying to show the path into the presence of God, the pathway or the it's almost like a road map into the presence of God. What do you think? You start with the fact that you are fainting and you are thirsty, so much so that you are actually not able to hold yourself up. Fainting means not being able to hold yourself up, right? Yeah? My daughter, Eliza, when she, went to, when she was at the OTC, was thousands of feet high. She fainted twice, I think, twice or three times all that. The point is that she couldn't hold herself up because of the altitude. She had altitude sickness. The fainting has to do with the fact that in a situation that we are in, we can't hold ourselves up. We cannot by our own efforts, our own strength, by our own abilities hold up our side of things. 
So the fainting has to do with the fact that we come to a place where all our best efforts come to naught. But the psalmist says it's a fainting for God. It's not that fainting for strength. It's a, my soul faints for you. My soul faints for you. When I don't have enough money, when my emotions are so turbulent that I cannot control the way my mind thinks, where my mind goes. I can't get out of bed. I can't focus enough. My fainting. And many people try to find ways in which they can just not faint. Right? Not faint. I'll put it to you that actually sometimes what God does is that He benights our sight. He comes upon us and when He comes upon us, we are undone. He has to put to death all our own abilities, our own ways of looking at things, our own voices and our own plausibility structures in our own mind by which we are certain about things. He brings it to an end. Because of the fact that when we depend upon these things, the, the light of those things prevents us from seeing the light of God. That's why Christmas is a great time because Christmas is night time. The Isaiah chapter 60 says, 60 says, The sun shall not be your light by day, nor the moon by, ni- by night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. And sometimes what God has to do is to benight our knowledge, our logic, our senses. St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. He talks about not only the night of senses, but also the night of spirit as well. So that our own ways of, 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 of hearing from God sometimes are brought to night as well. Even the way in which we, we, we confuse the presence of God with the sense of the presence of God, even that has to be brought to nothing. And last week we talked about that. How, if He does not bring this to nothing, we will go by a combination of some revelation and some of our own thoughts and we conflate the two things and we confuse the two things. And so, so we are basically in both worlds but in a way that's confused. What God wants to do is to bring to an end all our strength in ourselves, our own voices, our own thoughts, so that we know for sure that those things have been brought to an end. And when God comes um, from zero to one, you can actually see the one very, very clearly. And that's sometimes what God does. But there comes a time in which You're figuring out, you see, you're figuring out how do I get through, how do I solve this problem, how is God actually doing it, how is God coming through, how do I cooperate with Him, and there's a a bunch of thoughts all over around, just let me get through this problem, just get get through this problem. And we come to this point, and we are praying to God, and we are asking Him, and we are trying our best to do all that we can do, and we're trying to make good sense of these things, and we're trying to be logical and all that, and and the, the whole thing comes together that's our project. Our project is trying to conv- uh, integrate our good sense with the sense of God. Now, I've got to tell you that that's not actually God's way. You can't fit it together. You can't harmonize yourself, your flesh, and your spirit. It doesn't work. 
It may be sensible, but it doesn't often work. Because what God has is a bigger project for your life and my life. He wants to actually make us people who can enter in purely into the spiritual dimension so that we can hear from Him with reliability. Or else what will happen is that we're wondering, is this God or is it me? Because I'm, I'm constantly mixing the thing. It is not that God is against logic. It is not that God's against physical things that we do or strategies. He's, what he's trying to do is to separate the two out so that you don't conflate the two things together. So that the voice of God can be distinguished from your own voice. Not, your voice is not all wrong. It's not all bad. It's just that you can't tell the difference. And it's very easy for us to try to do spiritual things from the point of view of the flesh. I notice a lot, of, a lot of times in the Christian world, we have lots of people taking scriptures and kind of doing a sort of a self-help thing based upon the flesh. You can do it. You just need the right attitude. Don't be lazy. Don't be a loser. All that. You can be a winner. You can be this. You can be that. Oh, wow, 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 wow. That's all well and good. But what God does is that He brings that to an end so that you can, you can function in the new person in Christ. That's the new covenant. Or it's just the old covenant trying to be re, re, reduxed. Yeah? And so what God does is that He has something bigger. And that is why you see in the Bible, it's just, it happens with Zechariah, it happens with John the Baptist, it does with, happens with David, it happens with, with, uh, with Moses, it does everything, it just brings everything to zero. Not because the flesh is bad, but it can't be used unless it's distinguished from God. And so what happens is that he comes to a point where he's faint. Um, and then he realizes, it's God that I want. Not just the new house. Not just that I can get my kids through college. I want all that. But really what I want is the reality of God to do this. When we, uh, Sydney and I, were re renting a, a house in uh, South Pasadena, we were brought to a rude awakening when we realized that the, the, the landlord was going to raise the rent. But it was going to raise the rent to a point that we could not afford it. And so we had to move out. Um, and we looked for apartments and all that, and we couldn't find anything. Suddenly we realized that we are really going to be having to live quite far away from church in order for us to be able to afford a place to live. And I, I remember Cindy one night waking up and thinking, we need, to, we need to really pray about this. And I had my answer for her. I said, well, I take care of God's house. He will take care of my house. No problem. But somehow that night, it just didn't seem to ring true. Because the, the landlord had raised the rent on us. And I could see the alarm in her voice. And I said, okay, we'll pray about it tomorrow morning. The next morning, I woke up and I realized, God, what do we do? And the, and the Lord spoke to us about buying a house, you know, buying a house, which we had no money for. We had maybe $1,000 in the bank. That's all. That's all. Our first few years... Uh, in BCF, we had actually lived by faith without any salary. 
and then some, and then a group of people, God moved them to actually contribute to us personally. But we still we had no savings. And then the Lord spoke to us, buy a house. So I asked the Lord, are you sure? And the Lord gave me Isaiah chapter 65. He said, I'll give you the treasures of darkness and riches in hidden places. And we got uh, a, a real estate agent who forgot about us many times, dropped the ball many times. And finally, as we were, we were ready to go and co- get another one more competent, um, she slipped a, 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 a piece of paper under our door and it had this address of the house that we now live in. And uh, we went for it. It was way beyond our own budget. At that time, 239000 was a lot of money. It's money that's infinitely beyond what we had, you know. And so we, we prayed about it. We went and visited it. And then something kicked in. We saw the house and we thought, we got caught. We got caught. All I can say is this, we had a Zacharias experience. And whatever form the angel came in for us, it caught our heart. You want to know those, that time when your heart is being caught. Because when it's being caught, it's the voice of the Lord. It's the touch of the Lord. It's the, it's the rock hitting you. You want to be able to distinguish that from just thought, thought processes. Because if you recognize voice, it is infinitely more powerful than being a smart guy. It's infinitely more powerful because it gives you more information and more um, intelligence on the matter. And so we got caught. And sometimes it happens to you. Got to have it. It's just right. It just sits right. You have entered into a zone in which you're actually hearing something, right? You don't have the foggiest how it's going to turn out, but you know something has caught you. You didn't catch it. It caught you, yeah? So that's, that's, that's what happens with, the, with, with the hearing from God. And what happens is this, when we are faint, we go through all the things that bring us to an end of, of ourselves, and you just have to wait upon God. Now, if you give Him time, just waiting upon the Lord, He will actually pick you up. He will actually reveal Himself to you. You will not find Him. You cannot find Him. God cannot be found. He can only reveal Himself to you. It is presumptuous to think that we as human beings can have mind enough to find God. That's, that's absurd, actually. That's absurd. Philosophically, it's absurd. Only God can find you. And He worked through the darkness and it's more reliable because when, he, when, when, when we are told that God will find us, it depends not on me, but upon Him. If the strength of the chain is in the weakest link, God help me if I have to find God. So that when I find that the scripture says, seeking for God, seeking for God, I don't feel helpless as if I seek for him. I'm not sure whether I can find him. I'm just saying, I'm waiting upon you until you find me. So that's what we did. 
time and again we would meet somebody the 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 um the loan officer and the loan officer will tell us oh this is what is is needed and all that we didn't tell him how much money we had but one day he did look into our bank and he gave me a call and he says michael I didn't know you had no money in the bank. Throughout this whole time, I got to tell you, I felt like a pretender. You know, you have the pretenders to the throne, the pretenders to this, the great pretender, right? Not that I was pretending, but pretender, a person is, is someone who has pretensions to something when actually those pretensions don't have any basis. Right? Not that he's pretending. He says, you don't have money. You only have a thousand. No, no. I need to see a paper trail to show that you have the money and the money is not just suddenly put in there by you transferring from some other place or, or borrowing and all that. And the Lord just put in within me one of those convictions that it'll be fine. I don't know where I got that. It is not of me. And I said, yeah, we'll have it by Monday. Monday. By Monday. Cindy knows when I'm, when I'm nervous. I go, we're having our dinner. Suddenly the dinner just really got spoiled. The path towards the presence of God is often brought is is often benighted by situations in which we come to an end of ourselves. Now the hardest part is waiting. Because waiting tells you that you have no means of saving yourself or helping yourself. You just have to be committed to waiting. If you don't have time to do it, then you can't. It's not for you yet. There must be, there must there will come a time in which you just have to wait upon. You don't have to do anything much. Just be quiet and just silent before the Lord. Play some worship music. If you don't have the strength to worship, play the worship music for you so that it'll do the worship for you. Be in an atmosphere in which it'll quieten your heart. Because the quieting is very important because God cannot use your thought. Not now. Later maybe, but not now. Now the prior, prior issue is you'll be able to distinguish His voice, not be very clever. That's not, how clever you are is not the, not the point. That, that will not bring you into the power of God. It will bring you into some power, but not God. And so what God has to do is bring us to a place where we are waiting. Waiting is the most humbling thing because you can't do anything. Just wait until God puts quietness into your heart, in my heart. Until He stills every other voice. There's no other voice. How long that takes? Some people say it takes an hour in prayer if you're very, very focused. Some people say it takes less, sometimes some takes more. But you just want to give the time. A person who gives that time will be rich spiritually. Yeah? Will be rich spiritually. <laughs> there comes a point in which as you're waiting, you're distracted, you're distracted. You're distracted. You're distracted. But you don't know what's happening. 
you are being brought closer to the presence of God. You just don't know it. You don't feel it, but you're coming closer into the presence of God because the presence of God does not depend upon your full concentration. It doesn't depend on your, your efforts. So you're just waiting because your waiting is a consecration of yourself to the Lord. You do your best to, to just be silent before Him. And if you're coming closer and closer and closer and closer, you don't know it. You don't feel it. But it's happening. It's happening by God to you. Amen? And there comes a point in which there's a quickening. A quickening will happen. And you become like a different person. Every day we can experience this. We don't necessarily experience it every day. For some of us, it's a rare thing. Some of us, we're just very busy. But if you make time for it, you can catch a number of days a week in which you can be quickened by God. When that quickening happens, you don't only get information from the Bible, you will get a whole different feeling. You will have a whole different being. Suddenly, you are happy in every way. You may be under tremendous pressure, but you've been brought into a new dimension. In fact, the Christ in you begins to be more, more there, more, more immediate, more felt. Rejoicing. Now, I have found that in my own life over the past years, my circumstances pressure me to be very opposite of that. But I have found that in the darkest of nights, I have experienced that quickening. And I know that it's something that God has for every one of us. Verse 5, My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. And I like to just, just end here. It's an interesting thing. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. In midway. In midway. You're not there yet, but you're experiencing in the midst of all your troubles and all your process an action at a distance. You're at a distance from your fulfillment of your, of, of your, 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 your prayer. But from a distance, you're clinging to God and God is pulling His hand, woof, oh, upholding you. And you feel it. You actually experience the upholding while you're in mid, 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 midway. That is the experience of the Christian, okay? Our Christian experience is a midway experience between prayer and, and fulfillment, between life and death. And in that, we experience the mm, upholding. Action at a distance. Talk about that. Talk about action at a distance, right? Action at a distance. From the, from the future, God walks back into, into your presence right now, pulls you up to such an extent that you may be going through your prison. You may be in prison. You may be being oppressed. You may be being, 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 being robbed. You're being, you may be being belittled. You, you, your humanity is being challenged. And in the midst of that, you're being upheld. I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that because in the midst of that, what happens is this. While the problems still persist, I'm experiencing something 
hitting me. Like that, that apodixis, that rock, it's hitting me right now. Is that, is that, is that? Okay, the Christian experience is this. Because none of us have reached the goal yet. You're not in heaven. When I come to your funeral, then you will have reached. But right now, we are halfway through. We're not quite there now, not graduated yet. The prayers have not been all answered yet. My daughter has one more semester to go before she graduates. And after that, all three of us, of our children, will have finished college. Whew. No debt. No debt, man. But it's not there yet. Not there yet, okay? Not there yet. In the midst of that, I can only, I can only have upholding. Upholding, that's all. And upholding is good enough. It will satisfy me. It's satisfying. There may be people in your family that are sick, they don't have jobs, they don't have um, um, uh, the best boss in the world, they don't have a resolution to their, whatever, their court case or whatever it is. We've gone through things like that. And every time, in midway, we have to do something big. And sometimes, we don't even have the, 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 the concentration to do any, anything because we're so troubled, so burdened by these things. And, and just to be able to have brain space to be able to do the work that we're supposed to do takes a huge, superhuman <laughs> deliverance to be able to do it. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just happy life in which we've been privileged with whatever it is. No, we're talking about things in the midst of suffering. I can be upheld. And when I'm upheld, it tells me I'll be satisfied as with fat. Wow. Psalm 84 says, My soul long and faints for the quiet courts of the Lord. My heart rejoices in the living God. How do you have these two things juxtaposed together, inter intermingled together? Because of God. Amen? Let us pray. before you this week ahead of us we thank you Lord that we don't have to wait to apply your words we are right in it we're right in the middle of it pray for every person who has been benighted with circumstances and uh, fainting who feels that they have difficulty holding up their own being their own structure together the structure of their lives, just being able to hold their head up is just difficult. We thank you, Lord, for those of us who look like we have no future, for those of us who feel like we're at the end of our life, for those of us who feel we're just in the wrong place, for those of us who feel that we have mis made mistakes or things have happened to us to such an extent that we are here as a result of many, 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 many wrongs. And the wrongs can't be undone, even for those. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a future and a, and a hope. And, then, and if there's never been any of that, we thank you that today, it operates now. 
Bless your name, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you do answer our prayer. We look forward to that right now. But right now, we say, we cling to you. I just keep getting the impression of Jesus' bride, the church, um, even though there are many of us here that are midway, the church is also midway. And even though, Jesus, Lord, you would have died, even if we were the only ones, we thank you that we are part of your bride that yes, is Lord. much more mysterious and bigger than all of us. And so together we come together with all of our different midway points, and we pray for your bride, Lord Jesus, even now, that, Lord God, you will do such a work in the body of Christ, that many will be drawn, Lord Jesus, to you, to the bridegroom, the bridegroom that is waiting for them right here on Colorado Boulevard, right there in our office building. Jesus is waiting. The bridegroom is calling his bride. And so we ask right now that we, being your bride, would welcome others in a new way. Would you put that truth in us that we're part of something so much bigger than we can ever fathom? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uphold your bride. And we pray for those who are on our hearts that you want to save right now. That even now in this week, perhaps you can lead us. Surely you're present to us and to them. We ask you that you would save, deliver, heal those that you are reaching out to. Open our eyes to be able to see that and cooperate with you, Lord. We bless your name. Praise your name, Lord. Just open your hands if you feel free and comfortable to do that. Welcome the fact that he is present to you now. You are on his highway. Blessed are those in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. They will all appear before God. Thank you, Lord. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.